Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody. It is another week and another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you, as always, by Armchair All-Americans and sponsored by MyBookie. Doc, do you enjoy placing a little wager on some sporting events from time to time? Yes. You like winning money? Oh, definitely. Well, then you should be using MyBookie.ag. It's the easiest site to use. They've got live in-game betting. It's the only place I go to when I feel the need to place a wager. Like I said last week, I have been kicking myself for not laying the line on the uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov Conor McGregor fight that was at a plus 2,500 if I had just laid the line that I knew I should. Don't be like me. If you have an inkling, if you know something is going to happen, if you know, for instance, that Cody Bellinger is going to hit a homer in the eighth inning, or if you would have known Cody Bellinger was going to walk the game off in the 13th last night, go to mybookie.ag and play there. It's so detailed. I didn't even realize this. You can bet over under on fantasy points on mybookie.ag. Basketball, football, baseball, whatever you want to bet, it's on mybookie.ag. Just use our promo code Braves25, and they will match you dollar for dollar up to twenty-five, uh, up to $1,000. They'll even throw in an extra 25 just for using our promo code. Just go on to mybookie.ag, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. Use the promo code Braves25. Let them know where you heard it from right here on the Platinum Sombrero. You play, you win, get paid. Now, we are excited to bring back one of our older guests, one of our uh, first shows that we had, Ben Chase from Tomahawk Take. Ben, welcome back to the show, bud. 
Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And for those of you that aren't quite as familiar with Ben as you should be, uh, we're going to discuss this a little bit later, but Ben just did like the ultimate and prospect profiling. Most guys will do a top 30. Really dedicated guys will do a top 50. Ben did a top 100. Yeah, let that sink in. Well, and it got to be a 125, too. So, you know, just because, you know, I couldn't stop. It's, It's a disease. It's one of those things that we're not quite sure if that's a good mark or a bad mark, but it's out there for everybody that, you know, with the Braves being done right now, that's a spot that if you're if you're missing a little bit, you want some uh, bright lights on the horizon, you take a look at that, you're going to be feeling a whole lot better about where the Atlanta Braves are as we move into an offseason where the Braves have a ton of money to spend, not a lot of holes that they need to plug, and huge, huge prospects as far as next season is concerned. But before we get into that, there is still baseball going on right now, and for all of, for those of you that have been uh, turning off the TV lately because you're still a little depressed that the Braves have lost, so far the the NL and ALCS have been fantastic series, just like many assumed that they would be. As the Brewers and the Dodgers, you know, Doc is big on the Brewers. I've been big on the Dodgers talent. Man, they have been deadlocked start to finish in this series. And as it is right now, last I checked, they were in the seventh inning. The Dodgers were up two to one. Uh, I'm not sure if that's changed yet. But this series has been everything that a baseball fan could hope for, uh, other than one black mark that we will get to in just a second. But, Ben, coming from somebody who's who's just kind of looking at the entire spectrum, how how awesome are these two series right now? Uh, well, and you've had you have redemption stories. I mean, today, right now, Kershaw. I think he actually right now. You know, just update a little bit. I got it spinning right now here, and it's it's five to one in the bottom of the seventh, and the Dodgers are still batting. And Kershaw batted for himself and took a walk and scored run number four. And thing is, they're still batting, and they're. I think I don't remember where Muncie is in the order. I think no, he's fifth. So they've still got a little bit before Kershaw's spot. So I mean, they're not batting around yet. But Kershaw completed his run and has been sitting back on the bench for a while. But he's gone through seven strong, allowed one. That guy has gotten so much crud for his postseason performances. He comes out, and you know, of course, we get to experience the crap of you know. Hey, we get. You know, postseason stud Clayton Kershaw, wonderful. Um, <laughs> you know, and then he goes out and he lays an egg in the first game against the Brewers, and everyone comes back out with a well, sure, but it was the Braves. You know, that's who you got. Which, of course, you know that just made me really happy uh, to hear that narrative. And no, he came out and he's dominated that same lineup tonight, and <laughs> he's he's really or this afternoon or whatever you want to call it, but he's really he has. He has looked like Clayton Amol, and the thing is, he doesn't have to do the the ninety eight mile an hour every so often like he once upon a time could pop out because he's he's gotten to that point where he's at that Maddox Glavin and then Smoltz later career stage where he can out pitch a guy at the plate and get through eight with seventy pitches. Well, you know, Sarah's. Eno Saris, one of the guys that we had on the program not too long ago, also from The Athletic, uh, he had a piece not too long ago talking about Clayton, who he has lost some on the fastball. He's down to about 92. You know, every once in a while he can bring a 94. But the difference is now his fastball and his slider are 
are pretty close as far as velocity goes. I believe there's only like a five mile an hour dip between them now, and he's relying on a slider a whole lot more. So he's actually changed his pitcher profile, but it actually works out well for him because now instead of having to having to kind of throw by people, he's uh, he's able to rely on deception more, and he, he he's turning around. If there's anybody that's going to be able to maintain that pitchability late into a career, it's going to be Kershaw. I know he's had the, the back injury is troubling. He's had some shoulder problems as well, but Clayton's a guy, and you're seeing it right now. He's got nine punch outs today. That's that's not just because of everybody strikes out now. It's still Clayton Kershaw. And I've always maintained that this idea that Clayton just isn't that good when the lights are bright. You know what happens when you play in the postseason? You play playoff teams. Those are the best teams. That's why your numbers are not as good. And you can point to guys like Smoltz who dominated in the postseason. Although, to be perfectly honest, if you want to dig into those postseason numbers, would you be surprised if I were to tell you that Greg Maddox, the one that's that's all maligned as far as not being great in the postseason, his numbers as an Atlanta Brave in the postseason better than Smoltz and, uh, and Glavin? And that wouldn't surprise me terribly. I mean, it's he. So many times you had what just seemed like eggs that the team pulled off some stuff, but then he would have he would have his normal game every so often too. You know, the Braves in the postseason didn't have a whole lot of six to you know six to five games that wasn't a normal thing in those days either. they still had a lot of two to one games so even when Maddox lost a game too you know he was yeah he thing is you're looking at if if you're talking about Greg Maddox 1995 you're talking about a guy who is putting up a one whatever ERA Higher batting average than ERA. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's just, he's put up historic numbers. He allows two runs in a game that they lose two to one. People are going to go, geez, Maddox just wasn't there tonight. He allowed two flipping runs, you know? Because he had been so stinking good all year, he allowed two runs in a game. And everyone thinks, God, where, what the heck happened to Greg Maddox? Why, you know, why is he suddenly given, you know, Given us an issue, and there was that narrative. You know, being being old enough to remember that narrative, there was that narrative spoken in the the national media the day after. Sometimes, and I just I hated that because that I yeah that's to me I, I put up something on this. It's to me it's a lot about nothing, similar to what the walks were in the Braves Dodgers series. They became this huge narrative, and in the end, there were three runs scored off of walks. Yeah, the the home run became a so much bigger of an issue. But that, oh, that, yeah, that wasn't really the focus as much. You're right. I mean, they. Oh yeah, I know. I, but yeah, just you know that. Yeah, they, you just get off on this that you know Maddox is just you know that people don't notice. Well, they just look at win loss. What's really going on? Like Glavin yeah. won that. Glavin won that game six, which that right there cemented him for most people as the as a supreme playoff pitcher. Glavin was not actually like his numbers were. You know, they were still good because he was Tom Glavin, but they weren't anything special. Like Glavin was not this this stopper in the postseason that people want to make him out to be. In fact, in '96, Glavin lost twice. 
in the World Series. And, you know, Glad, I think he had like a 3-7 or a 3-8 ERA in the postseason, which, you know, we're splitting hairs here. But compared to what Glavin is, that 3-8 was higher than both of the other two. And I believe John Smoltz was somewhere around a 3-6, uh, maybe a 3-5, and Maddox was around a 3-3. Significantly higher than what he is in the, in the regular season. But you, you just get caught up in this hype of, of looking at the playoff records. And I say that to say... Well, they were talking about something before this game started. Uh, maybe it was yesterday or the day before. They were talking about Clayton Kershaw and uh, the last time he'd had, uh, last time anybody else had been, what was it, 0 for, 0 for 9 or, or 1 for 10 or something in the playoffs like Kershaw. The last guy to do that was Randy Johnson, who I think we yeah. can all agree, pretty dominant pitcher. Yeah, and that's, well, and I mean, look at, you know, he's, he's he has had his issues, but David Price. Just got his first win of his playoff career as a starter. That was who it was, not Clayton Kershaw. It was David Price? My bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and and or his actually, he didn't even get the win. His team did. His team had been zero and ten in his career on games that he started. And but then, if you go into the the actual stats, he wasn't always that bad. He there were a lot of games lost where he pitched well. They just didn't put up any runs. What do you do with that if you're the pitcher, you know? Well, in the flip side of the, the argument, when you see, you know, Clayton Kershaw is struggling in the playoffs against elite offenses, I mean, it's a similar thing to where rotations are shortened anymore to where you're, you're yeah. going to wind up seeing the, the best three guys instead of five guys. You're not just feasting on a number five. So, I mean, you're going up against Kershaw and Hill and Ryu, and you, you have to perform against those guys. You're not just, you know – Touching off Alex Wood on on a bad night or something. I was just going to pull it up here. He is it's a five four two ERA that that now uh, um, Price has in his career in the postseason, which that's not good. But he seems to have a blow up start that people remember like. You know, this year against the Yankees when he couldn't get out of the second inning. You know, people remember that, and then they don't remember when he, you know, comes back and, you know, he's he was hurt so much of 17. And frankly, if he isn't dominant out of the bullpen last year, they don't even have a chance against Houston. I mean, he, he was a stud for them. He went a, a multiple innings twice when their starter just didn't give him anything. And, you know, here, you know, th- that narrative just a year later. It just comes with the territory. When you make huge deals, when you make a lot of money, people are going to pick and pick and pick at you. But speaking of stars, while I've enjoyed this postseason immensely, there was something that happened last night that I can honestly say uh, I have not seen happen <laughs> from anybody of any real talent level since Chase Utley, ironically another Dodger. Uh, what Manny Machado did to Jesus Aguilar – Anybody that tries to argue that that was unintentional has not seen the video or is just a Manny Machado fan. That was the most blatant attempt to – I don't know if he was actually trying to hurt somebody, but you know like when a pitcher throws inside because you're too close or when Dallas Braden got pissed off at uh, Alex Rodriguez for walking across the mound? That's what Manny Machado did to Jesus Aguilar, who 
was you know played it incorrectly and had his foot over the bag. But when you see Manny Machado short step and drag his left foot in order to hit across the ankle of Jesus Aguilar, that's a guy that Machado played with in the minors. Like those guys are supposed to be friends. That is that is the quintessential dirtiest move for a guy that quite honestly has a huge reputation. I don't know if you guys remember this, but Manny Machado's had this reputation going back at least to 2014, even before that, where he got into it when Josh Donaldson was still a member of the A's. Well, and he is not, I mean, really this entire series has just really not been good. I mean, he came out of the Brave series taking two or three, was it two or three routine grounders to short that he botched. Two in one game. Yeah, and that wasn't a good look. But then this series, he he had the plays at second. Two of them in one game. Two plays at second base in one game where he's reaching up and grabbing at the guy with his arm. And it's pretty obvious. And the second one was, I mean, there's no way you can say that, well, it's just in the, the nature of the play. No, no way that you can make that argument. He's you know, reaching hard to try and get Arcia as he's trying to make this relay to first. And and then he's making faces in the dugout like, geez, I can't believe you called the double play after reviewing that. Well, come on now. Um, and then he had, you know, he ends up, he, that after, you know, just, was it just ahead of this whole thing with Aguilar, he got called out on strikes after he wasn't granted time. He put up his hand and assumed he would get time and wasn't ready when he wasn't granted time. And, and so then he, he went in he on the blew, umpire after that. Oh, yeah. yeah. He blew up. The umpire, to his credit, didn't run him, didn't even warn him, which he very well could have. But then he has that incident with Aguilar then just after it. And, and of course, he's also had multiple incidents in this series where he's been very blatantly taking his ever-loving time to get to first base on a routine grounder. In the interview with uh, Rosenthal, I believe it was, where he he just straight up said, yeah, I I don't hustle. I should, but I don't. He just flat out said, that's not my style of play. This is a dude that's looking to get $35 a year, man. What are you doing? I mean, this this has not been a great series for Manny Machado. I mean, really, if if you are a team that right now is looking at the Likelihood that you're going to be dropping three to four hundred million dollars on this guy. This can't be a, a something that you're enjoying as far as how you're going to play this in your PR department in December. You know this is because this stuff a lot of times doesn't get forgotten. It's on a big stage right now. You know your fans are going to remember this stuff. I mean, that, that, that kick the, is going to go down in the, in the Manny Machado punk move library and there is actually something on youtube if you want to look into it if you haven't seen what happened i do really recommend you look at what happened in oakland uh where josh donaldson tagged him out on a pretty routine grounder he tries to throw his helmet at josh donaldson as he's throwing over and donaldson's Mm -hmm. looking at him like what are you doing and then i believe it was i can't remember if it was later that game or if it was the next day but he gets he gets uh he gets brushed back by a pitch so the next pitch is also inside and low. He he swings after the ball's in the catcher's glove and throws his bat at Donaldson, trying to make it look like an accident. And the bench is clear, and he wasn't run. Oh yeah, and that I mean it was. Well, now I will say, <laughs> Brewers tagged him today, um, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know if they would have if they would actually if they would actually get 
him today. But oh, you had to. Um, There's no way you they, could let that go. They they did hit him today, which I thought was, you know, I'm not a fan of throwing the one at his head, but you know this one was obviously kind of right at his butt, and that's that's what you need. You know, as a pitcher, that's where you should throw it if you're going to throw it. And yeah, he definitely there there was some definite intent there. You know, it was. I mean, if you just listen to what Christian Yelich said after the game yesterday, I mean, Yelich, you don't hear baseball players attack other baseball players very often because they tend to get fined and because baseball, it's kind of like a protect the shield thing. Yelich went in on him, basically just called him a dirty player. And then after, this is the part that doesn't get recorded, but uh, as the reporters were walking away, uh, Yelich stands up and goes, F that mother effer, uh, and just starts going off on him just off camera. That. That's a common thing. Craig Council went off on him as well. And what may be the most passive aggressive thing I've ever seen when uh, somebody asked him if he thought that that was a hustle play. And Council said, I haven't seen Manny hustle this entire series, which was awesome. <laughs> 100% Craig Council, but even interviewing Manny. And he's just got this air about him during the whole thing of, you know, just kind of the smugness and I'm too good to talk about this. And that's why a lot of people have a lot. That's. And you didn't hear about it when it was with Baltimore as much because it's Baltimore and nobody cares. But there's been <laughs> yeah, this aura yeah. about Manny basically following him his entire sentence because he's always been extremely talented. And he's always had his name up there in lights. He's always he's always been considered to be one of these elite type of guys. But most people just assume that he wants to go to New York because he wants to be a star outside of baseball. Like he wants to be on that same plane that Bryce Harper is, or he wants to be on that plane where people who don't follow baseball know who he is. And here to tell you, Brian Cashman is not your normal Yankees GM. He's not going to really put up with stuff like that. So if you're Manny Machado, if you're Manny Machado's agent, I might go in there and hit him with a baseball bat and tell him you're, you're done. No more interviews, no more anything. So here's, here's a question I have there. How much, because about the time that, you know, Machado's crap was basically his first year or two in the league, and then he just he really did shape up. How much of that had to do with Buck? With Showalter be coming in? That's a that's, that's a, a really good, good question because Buck Showalter will punch you in the face in the locker room. I mean, and who in baseball has that kind of persona and respect within the game that could? take him aside and do the same type of thing that Buck Showalter probably could do in a dugout with him when he would try and pull anything. I mean, Gabe Kapler could probably physically beat the crap out of him. But <laughs> well, then again, kicked out of baseball by the end of the offseason. Well, then again, know, Gabe Kapler might be more worried about his spray tan than actually enforcing anything. But I, you're right. That, that's, there's been a concerted move away from those type of coaches. So you're going to see guys like this. And as a baseball fan, I hate to see it because when you look at Manny Machado on a baseball field, the dude is an insanely talented player. I, I, and as much as as much as he's not great at shortstop, I understand him wanting to play shortstop. Take it from somebody who was a shortstop for a while, got moved to third. There is no comparison to playing shortstop on a baseball field. It's it's its yeah. own thing, and for a guy that's as fiercely competitive and as talented as Manny Machado, I get that aspect. He's just not good at it. But to see a guy that talented be that much of a d bag, it, it, it's such a it's such a shame because you know what this guy could do and you know how talented he is, and he's hurting himself and he's hurting the image around him. So, not to you know transition for you guys here, but this is something. 
I had noticed this year that I hadn't noticed previously was Snitker. He, I watched him go and lay into somebody in the dugout after a loaf. He benched Ender for it. But he is, he is every player's favorite person on this planet. And that whole Jose Arrhenia moment, I mean, if you weren't on his side at that point as a Braves fan, after that game, then I don't know what else that man can do to get him on your side. That man was out there, and he was going to, I mean, he was going to punch Jose Urania right in the face for trying to hit Acuna. I mean, that's just, he was after him. But that's the type of, he still has some of that old school mentality, and I'm going to get right into your nose and tell you that, hey, give me 100% of what you got out there, or I got other people that want to play this game. And I don't care if they're Ryan Flaherty, they want to play this game. So, which, you know, that makes us all go, no! But there's, <laughs> there's a point to that at sometimes too. You know, over a course of 162, there's a point to some of that. Now, please don't do that in October, but, you know, in the middle of July, there's a point to making that. And I, I had not noticed that as much in 17 with him and perhaps it's where the where the team was in the standings, and who knows what. But he really, to me, I noticed that a lot more this year that he was in a guy's face when they were doing something stupid out on the field. If they were talking smack as a pitcher on the on the mound, when they got in, all of a sudden he's not on the step. He's down there talking with his pitcher and kind of right face to face with him. I mean, he's not yelling, but you have a pretty good idea that it's not hey, buddy, you're doing okay, it's more than likely, hey, that crap isn't okay, stop it. You know, and that's where <laughs> there just aren't guys like that. I'm, You know, I for my other site that I write for, I'm looking at, was putting together something for who the Twins are looking at for their managerial choices. I'm going, God, who's going to ever call out Miguel Sano on this? Joe Girardi? You know, nobody's... <laughs> Nobody's going to tell him to put down that cheeseburger. You I think, know, I think Joe Girardi would punch him. Joe Girardi's that guy now, but he's about it since Leland retired. Well, and that's just, I mean, is David Ross really going to be the guy that tells it, somebody no? You know? that. The, so, yeah. That's just, there just isn't that kind of guy anymore. I mean, it's good news for Bryce Harper because going into this year, Bryce Harper was the guy that had the attitude that people didn't like. And, Doc, if I'm asking you <laughs> yeah. now, if I'm asking you which of the two is now on par to actually get the money that you think, everybody's been talking about Bryce Harper having a down year. Well, Doc, if I'm asking you now, which of the two would you rather have in Atlanta uniform? I mean, I wanted Harper more all along. You know, you you actually the thing with Harper, it's like a perfect storm. You've got the positional opening, you've got financial flexibility. With with Machado, you've you've got a shortstop, you've got a third baseman, you've got a bunch of guys ahead of him, and you know people can talk all they want about Bryce Harper not hitting the, or fitting the corporate culture of of what Snitker and his crew have tried to build. But I mean, you got to pick between the two. I mean, it's Harper all day long. Yeah, I and I, I don't, I don't have any issue with that at all. I mean, frankly, adding the other end of things is that's left-handed power. And right now, with the guys that you got coming in, you got, you know, Acuna obviously is going to bring you a lot more power from the right-handed side. 
um, than what you've had recently. Uh, as far as what we've seen, Ozzy is a lot more comfortable on the right-handed side. He seems to yank stuff left-handed, but he's a lot better hitter from the right side. You know, these you lose Martakis, you kind of need somebody who can give you a little something, a little oomph from the left side. And I, that's oomph. I mean, you're not going to get much more on the market than that. Not so. only that, the Braves are coming into this offseason, and the payroll numbers have differed depending on who you're looking at. DOB says $30 million, but it's DOB, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, Mark Bowman says $60 million. I don't think it's quite that high. You're figuring out all the arbitration costs and everything for anybody. You figure the Braves are going to have about 50 to $53 million worth of spending money this offseason. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean they're going to spend all $53 million of it. Uh, they will all, you'll always keep some in reserve in case you make a trade at the deadline or so on and so forth. You take on a bad contract later in the year to get somebody back. But you've got plenty of money to bring in a Harper. Now, Alex Anthopoulos, speaking earlier this week, said that people who were expecting a Harper or Machado signing would probably be disappointed. Speaking about not wanting to hamstring, uh, hamstring a team later on, like the 6 through 10 years, he said specifically, tend to not work out. I have not been a big believer that Harper is going to do a 10-year deal. Maybe Scott Boris pushes forward to try to reset the market back to the way he wanted it with J.D. Martinez. But I don't think it would be a good strategy for Harper. I think whatever he signs is going to have an opt-out after the second year, second or third year, uh, third year maybe, which he's going to exercise because Mike Trout's going to bankrupt like entire cities when he's a free agent. And I, I think that's the way you're going to see him and Machado sign deals. I think they're going to sign opt-outs there. My biggest worry now after hearing that is I don't want to see the Braves be a bargain bin team again. Like I, you have money. You don't. You have two or three holes that you need to really fix. Do not go out there and get me Plan C players because they're cheap. Go out there and get me somebody, somebody good. Go get me an actual upgrade. Don't don't go out here and re-sign Marquez for fourteen million because you don't want to pay Michael Brantley nineteen or because you don't want to pay Bryce Harper thirty-five for three years. Give me a real reason why you're doing what you're doing. Don't just cheap out. Yep, and that's, you know, the big thing there that the only thing I could see is if you're going to get into, well, we're looking at the idea of we want to throw some money at Ozzy, we want to throw some money at Acuna this offseason, we want to throw some long-term money on Fulte, and that's going to change our money for 2019. You know, if you're going to pull that stuff off, you know, great. That's, that's a whole different use of your money then you can sell me on that, okay, the best isn't what you're what you have options for, but you know, there are tremendous options, you know, I put up a piece where I had the team trading for Madison Bumgarner. Twelve million dollars. That's not you know, there's you definitely have the prospect capital. You definitely can add in a twelve million dollar contract for next year. Making the same money as Julio, basically. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's absolutely no reason why that deal cannot be made without or with the capital that you have on hand as far as players and finances, because it's short term. Now, like I said, you start looking at we're talking about a guy who's going to be around for you know if if somebody if they wanted to throw for instance margin in that deal to make it work oh hell no (laughs) (laughs) that's that deal goes forever in a day and it's 
you know, $30 million or $20 million or whatever flipping money he's making. If they want to throw Bumgarner and Posey into a deal, because there were some random talk about Posey going to the Braves, that, for one, I'm not sure how much catching that man's going to do in the next three years. Um, but he's making 20 until about 2025. You know, and pretty close to thirty for a lot of those years. That's it's a lot of scratch for somebody in, that can't Now you're getting healthy. into the point where Acuna's making money. Now you're getting into the point where Ozzy's making money. Now you're getting into the point where you need the money for those guys. And I can understand where you say no to that deal. Well, so. and they're, they're not in, in the position that they were a couple years ago, where they had to take on some money to to make certain things work. It's not like taking on Bronson Arroyo's money so you can get Tukey. Now you don't have to have those those fringe pieces. And you can really just maximize the efficiency of what you're getting out of your roster. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that's... Let's hope that that's the, the choice best made. And he, he did say <laughs> something that that he uh, that the Braves should expect bigger moves through the trading de- uh, through the trading aperture than uh, as opposed to the free agency, and with the Braves dealing from a, a large amount of capital, I can see why you don't want to hamstring a deal. Especially the Braves have essentially four to five years before they have to worry about too much money. So you can structure guys with big, huge deals for four years because after that, then it's the it's the fifth and sixth year now when Ozzy and Acuna and Camargo and Dansby, if he's even still here at that point. And Soroka and all your young arms are really starting to to get their second contracts. Going up into there, you're on arbitration deals and, and cheap rookie money. So I don't think that I think the Braves can essentially outbid just about anybody they want for any one free agent. And while I'm starting to really think that Harper and Machado are not here, uh, I think that there are some apertures. Joel Sherman had a piece where he detailed five pitchers that he thinks will be on the move or at least offered. Now, everybody knows right now because the, the, the Diamondbacks are looking to deal. So Robbie Ray makes his list. That's an interesting case for a buy-low guy, a lefty who, when healthy, has been really good in his career, coming off a really, really bad year. Uh, he's got Corey Kluber on there, which is insanely interesting if i could get Corey kluber even though he's a little bit older i would take Corey kluber in a heartbeat there's not a there's not a better looking two-seam fastball in this game than Corey kluber he's also got uh carlos martinez james paxton who doc and i were talking before before the show about very interesting guy who's extremely talented who's just a little bit snake bitten but the braves have depth to be able to deal with the five starts that he'll miss every year and then you've got Madison Bumgarner on that list who I am a huge fan of and I do think that Anthopolis will target Bumgarner because it's not a lot of money there's no years on the deal you're basically buying him pretty low last year was not a normal Bumgarner season as he dealt with some injuries and it gives you a guy he gives you a guy that you can turn to to put up against the Kershaw's of the world the Scherzer's the DeGrom's it gives you that guy and that's you know, frankly, that's why I am, you know, when that whole Diamondbacks thing came out, if they're going to look at Granky, No, thank you. I, you know, the the contract sucks, but I, there's this, there is some degree of having that guy, not necessarily his skill set, as much as, I mean, essentially, he'd be an animal... Sanchez with uh, about, you know, twice as much talent. Let's just, you know, 
<laughs> you know, but but I mean, you know, in that role of this is a veteran who he's he's a guy who a lot of folks were talking about how he, he was sitting down with different guys in their rotation last year in Arizona, and that would be an interesting role. Now the money there is just horrific, and good lord, you better not have to give up much to get him if that's if you're taking on a lot of that money. But I just think he's a head case. I don't know how he handles a bigger city. I mean, he pitched in L.A. Yeah, and he didn't pitch very well there. Remember, he had all those problems in L.A. Then he went to Milwaukee, and and he was good there, and he's been good in Arizona. What's he going to do when he's, you know, when he's in a – Atlanta's not a small city. We're not – we're not huge. We're not L.A. or New York, but we're not Milwaukee or Arizona either. I'll, I'll say this about Grinky. I had uh, I was going through everybody's projected payrolls for for next year, and after Anthopolis made the statement about we're going to primarily explore the the trade market, I'm looking around trying to see well who's even really available. That's like a the super big ticket contract guy that's actually like looking like they could be moved. And Grinky was one of the ones. Um, I think you're kind of right about what what he would add. He's almost like a mad genius type, yeah, but he's he's got that mentor thing. To me, he's like Annabelle Sanchez crossed with Yasiel Puig almost. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're right. The the money sucks. I mean, that's a lot. And and you could use a deal like that to trade someone like Julio to kind of offset some of the money. They'd still have to send a lot, and the and the Braves wouldn't be able to. Um, Maybe There's if, no way they'd be amenable to sending a huge prospect package too. Well, maybe if you oh, no. maybe if you work in David Peralta along with Granky, you can do something there. As Peralta is a guy that you know, he's pretty similar to Marcakis. I think he's a little bit he's a better defender than Nick at this point. He's not quite as consistent with the bat or the health. But Peralta is a guy who's kind of like a Michael Brantley light. And I'm a big Michael Brantley guy. He's actually been a lot healthier than I assumed he'd been. But if you can work in another piece to plug up a hole, then you know I'm more amenable to it. But I mean that's like thirty four, thirty five million dollars for Granky, and I I don't think that I think Granky's days as a number one are behind him. I don't think he's better oh, yeah. than Fulty yeah. at this point, and that's been my point on this. I don't want like we have enough pitching that we have a real problem of how, how many of these guys are actually going to be able to make the rotation. How, how, how are we going to find spots for these guys? I don't want to start dealing depth just because you need to get rid of some guys. It's like in mine and in your proposals, Sean Newcomb is essentially going for Bumgarner, and that's what the trade is dealt around is, is Newcomb. Yep. Uh, and I, I since Chuck Hernandez was let go as the Braves pitching coach, I think that that's pretty telling for Sean Newcomb. And Doc and I are both huge Max Freed fans, and I've been saying this for for a while now that I think Freed and Newcomb are essentially interchangeable. I actually like Freed a little bit better. Uh, I think Sean Sean has higher oomph. It's like Sean, Sean's best day is better than Max's best day, but I think Max is more consistent. If that makes any sort of sense. Yeah. Um, But Bumgarner is a guy that I still think is a number one. I think that his numbers were down last year, had a lot to do with the injury. And it wasn't so long ago that Bumgarner was dominating everybody in the postseason again. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's maybe I'm off base. I think that that AA would most certainly look at Granke. That's just not the move that I want to see. I want to see you go out and, and get a statement guy. Not just to get a good player, but to move this perception of Atlanta as a big city but a mid-market team that doesn't want to spend, 
I want to change that that view of Atlanta as to okay, now they're moving in with the big boys. So if they put, I mean, great. The other thing with Granky is he's pretty much two hundred innings in the bank. You know, that's one thing is that guy's going to go out. He's going to give you six every night. He's going to keep keep your bullpen somewhat rested. If they would pull something with a Granky and somehow pull Archie Bradley into that. Nah, I'd be down for that. I mean, I'm just, I pulled up the Diamondbacks roster. I was looking this over and kind of who they have signed. And I think he is, why is my page now stupid? Um, but he is going into ARB. That sounds right. He's the beard makes him look older, but he hasn't been nope, up a whole one, long. No, he's he has one more year, or no, he is arb this year. This year is his first year of arbitration for Bradley. So, you know, he's about to get a little bit expensive, which not, you know, first year he's probably going to make a couple million, which for what he can do, yeah, that's I'd take that if that's your. We've got to send big prospects in order to get that arm put in with Cranky. Mm, yeah, I'm still not happy about it, but I think the one that's more interesting to me is the James Paxton one. And I was actually talking with Keats, a uh, buddy of ours and a listener to the show. Shout out to Keats there, uh, who likes to bring up trades like every single day. But <laughs> we were yeah. talking about a Paxton deal, and since the Mariners or since Jerry Depoto loves to trade, if you could package and get a get a package that had James Paxton and Gene Segura in the package to the Braves, I would instantly do that. Uh, as long as it's not costing you like your Soroka type of guy, and from I don't think that they're going to deal Soroka. I think Soroka is a guy that you know recency bias has him out of sight, out of mind. But he pitched uh, a couple days ago to some live batters. This looked great. Apparently, he's at 100%. Uh, Soroka is the guy that I like the most of the pitchers. But if you're telling me that I can get James Paxton and Gene Segura, who's an instant upgrade from Dansby um, for, for anybody, and for those that don't want to move Camargo to short, now you've got Segura at shortstop who can handle shortstop and is a switch hitter and has been very, very good, and you're getting him out of Safeco or whatever. the I think it's still Safeco there in Seattle. I could be wrong. PNC. And, and they, Segura is signed all the way through 2022 with an option for 2023. Not making a ton never, of money. And he never makes 15. I mean, that the option is for 17, but he never makes 15 in the regular deal. That's that's pretty freaking incredible. Now, that's going to um, cost. that. That's one that I would assume is going to cost you something around. Sean Newcomb, they're going to want Austin Riley because they're about done with Kyle Seeger up there. He's kind of hit, He hit that wall last year, and I would imagine he's going to be dealt. Uh, but if you're talking about getting that in return – I'm okay with that because you're going to have to give something to get something. And I don't, I think, and this is going to make a lot of Braves fans unhappy, but I think Austin Riley is the best trade chip that the Atlanta Braves have. Uh, I think that there is a ton of power in that bat. There's still enough question marks about the contact rate in that bat to where I don't think the Braves are going to make him untouchable. But I think that he's the guy that can mitigate a lot of the return. I think you'll see, you would see Newcomb go in that deal. I think you'd see Riley. I think you'd see a guy like Kyle Muller and then maybe a, a lottery pick type of player. Uh, maybe even an Izzy Wilson, who I would not want to see go, but who I could who I could certainly see going in that deal as well. 
I will actually counter your statement about Austin Riley being the best trade chip, but I'll say I think it's Ian Anderson. And yeah, but I don't I want to trade Ian Anderson. Well, I mean, I I don't I I made the fatal mistake. I I I love all these guys now, so I don't want to see any of them wind up getting traded. But if you you know you've got you got enough firepower to where, for as far as righties go, you've got Soroka right. Ian Anderson, you've got Bryce Wilson right there. I mean, that's uh, – and Tukey, you know, there, there's so many really good righties at the top. You know, you start to look for – I don't want to say redundancies, but for lack of a better term, that's what I'll say. And I think that uh, his ascent has been somewhat meteoric. He's looked really, really good, and um, it would suck to trade any of them, but he's got he's a super high upside arm. And, and with Riley, every every – inkling that I get out of the British front office is that they just love the guy. So I know they do, but, that, but if you're if you're let me let me go through this with Jerry Depoto. You don't have to trade Gene Segura. He's under very very good contract for a number of years, and your team that came out of nowhere and really for the first half of the season was set to be a playoff team. Hanniger came out of nowhere to be an outstanding player in his second year. Your pitching staff was great. Edwin Diaz is made himself known as one of the best closers in baseball. DePoto's a guy who's going to see himself as maybe not as far away as people think. Uh, if you're going to get him to do that, you got to give him something he essentially needs. And while I don't disagree that Ian Anderson is a huge trade chip and somebody that I was way, way too low on for the past year and a half, like I've mentioned to you before, Doc, players that play every day have more value than pitchers when you're talking about rebuilds and stuff like that. They need a third baseman. I just don't see an instance where DePoto does not ask for Austin Riley. And I think, and I could be wrong, I think he would take a slightly lesser pitcher if it meant that he got a better third base prospect in return. That's just me. If I were DePoto, that's what I would do. Fair enough. So my my counter for you guys as far as the most tradable is, uh, I guess you'd flip a coin, but uh, one of the two W right-handers, either Wright or Wilson. I think those guys, because they're both going to be at AAA, they've both made huge jumps up the system in the last couple of years and gotten a lot of attention for it. I think there's a lot of, I mean, they love Soroka, but I don't think that, I don't think he's moving. I, you know, the team went out on a monster ledge, and basically they have all that same scouting staff that went on a monster ledge for Ian Anderson. And, yeah. you know, there's, I, I could see, you know, Kyle Wright fell to him. It, it was basically, how do you not take him? in that spot when he falls to you. And Bryce Wilson was a, a fourth round guy who's turned into holy crap. So I can see that. You know, why, I think Kyle Wright I mean, would be that guy, by the way. I think, uh, I think it's kind of telling that he didn't get more starts than he did coming up. I think that's a little bit telling. I think they definitely see him as behind Tukey, definitely behind Soroka. Uh, I think they see him as behind Bryce Wilson at this point. And I think they know the upside is there. But I think there's a real question about whether Kyle Wright is going to be a starter, whether you think he's going to carry his command six or seven innings, or whether he's going to be a bullpen guy. Here, at least. In Atlanta, at least. It's good to be a Braves fan. You know what? (laughs) Right? We're talking about, like, oh, man, do we put this number seven overall prospect in the bullpen or start him? or Man, and then what do we do with this other super guy and Bryce who, man, and then we've also got – you know, we've got Joey Wentz coming up, and 
The reason I don't you know, want to see Al, or Anderson go is I think Anderson is probably your best bet. If you're looking at guys and you're trying to circle who the top of the rotation arm is going to be, who's going to be that number one, I think Ian Anderson is your best bet. He doesn't have as good a command as Soroka. He doesn't have as good of pure stuff as Tuki Toussaint, but he's got better pure stuff than Soroka normally, although with Soroka throwing 97, it's debatable. And he's got way better command than Tuki. So I think if you're talking about the guy that's most likely to be consistent enough, I think Ian's that guy, and there's still plenty of room for him to fill out in that frame. So I don't know if you guys follow. I don't know if you guys follow 2080 Ball online. Yeah. Um, their podcast is one of my one of the ones I love to listen to, and their guys when um, when they saw Ian in Mississippi this year, the guy came out. Uh, and I don't remember which one of their evaluators it was that saw him, but was on the podcast and made the comment. He says, that is a top 10 in all of baseball arm. As in top 10 prospect, not a top 10 pitcher, a top 10 prospect in all of baseball type of arm. Wow. I mean, there's no doubt, especially for a cold weather arm that took him a little bit to get going. I mean, Doc, you were right on it with the cold weather arm of it. I was just being stubborn and, not digging into it like I should have. I didn't, I didn't like him as much because I, I looked at it as a money-saving move and dumb me got stubborn and didn't want to dig too much into the actual player. But from all accounts, from everything I see now, I was way off on him. You know, and that that's – when somebody's dropping Mike Mucina comps on, on an 18-year-old out of, out of high school, I mean, that's – Mucina was no slouch, you know, and uh, – Sometimes you you get the perfect storm, and the fact that he was willing to take a haircut on that deal, I mean, and it, that was the first year that I really got into the composites and uh, building that giant spreadsheet. And I remember, you know, this guy's like thirteenth, fifteenth, something like, man, what a reach! But then the more video you start to watch, and the more stuff you start to read, I mean, he's a live arm, you know, and mm-hmm. the cold, the cold weather arm thing. That's it really isn't a myth. I mean, some cases it's, it's an advantage and in some cases it's not, but for him, what a coup, you know, if, if Wentz and Muller, they wind up turning into anything, then that's that draft too. The 2015 and 2016 drafts are going to go down as just franchise altering drafts. They really, really are. He's almost like Matthew Liebertor from this draft as a guy who, he he's kind of being like people are talking about Libertor and the fact that he throws a lot of pitches and he's got all this command and stuff. But really, he wasn't you know he wasn't quite as hyped as some of the other pitchers in this draft. And I'm telling you what, man, I'm I'm a believer in Ian Anderson now. Now, speaking oh, yeah. of Ian Anderson, you've got him pretty prominently placed in your top fifty. I believe you've got him at uh, what did you have him at? You've got him at number two, right in front of Christian Pache, yep. which is heavy heavy words because you're not going to find bigger Pache fans than Doc or I. Uh, especially from the scouts that we've spoken to and the evaluators we've talked to, we've spoken to. Christian Pache is a guy that people are saying has a chance to be a better overall player than Ronald Acuna, and that is not something that you say lightly. No, and 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 I I am all on board with Pache. I the only thing I've ever wanted to uh, downgrade him on was. Just when they used to have some discussion when he first came into the organization over whether he or Ditter had the better arm in the outfield, and I was all on the Ditter train, and 
I will gladly concede that at this point. But, you know, there was, you know, that was, he is, everything he did this year was everything he needed to do this year. I mean, everything that he needed to show this year for, for you know, for Pasha, he did everything. But Anderson did more. <laughs> That's just, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I saw the stats and then I started digging into video and guys, man, I watch these games and you just, the balls he throws, I mean, he gets guys to strike out, but he's, his balls that he throws are intentional. And he figures he gets better umpires that he's actually going. He's one of those that I think will do better the higher he rises as he gets better umpires behind the plate. Yeah, and, and that's just I think he's he has he has gone from watching him in Rome. He was absolutely a thrower that had an idea where it was going, and now he is setting guys up, putting stuff in a. You know, putting a certain pitch in a certain spot so that three pitches later he can get you, or the next time he sees you up, he can get you. And that is really advanced for a kid who is, is he even 20 yet? You know, I, I, I think just barely. So, I mean, that's, that's absolutely incredible for how young he is to jump the system the way he did this year. And then, you know, these are double-A hitters. You know, some of these guys are 26-year-olds that are hangers-on in double-A with, you know, 440 OBPs because, you know, they've they've just been around forever. And he's setting them up. And it's just, I was so blown away watching video on his starts. I just, you know, I... I, I, the only reason he's not above Soroka is, well, okay, I'm a fanboy on Soroka, but, you know, that's, <laughs> I, and I'll gladly admit that, but holy cow, it was, I, I couldn't put him behind anyone else in the system. And there are some, and, there are some guys on your list that are some interesting placements that you don't see very often. William Contreras is coming in at fifth. He's actually coming in ahead of Austin Riley, who you've got eighth, and Grayson Janista yeah. all the way up at 13. Now, the William Contreras one, is it more about what William has shown, or are you not quite as high on Austin as some others are? Oh, no, I'm still – I'm so I am high on Austin. I am not crazy high on Austin. There's still 30% strikeout rate on Austin. And I, I get there's – so many other things that he did very well this year. There's so many things that he took big strides on this year. 30% strikeout rates in the minor leagues do not translate to lower strikeout rates in the major leagues typically. I would it agree. Doesn't, I mean, that's just not the way it typically goes. And he is not, I mean, if he was hitting 40 home runs with a 30% strikeout rate, well, then we're having a different conversation. He's hitting the ball with authority, but he's not hitting it crazy to have those kind of strikeout level numbers. So that that is my one concern with Austin, which is the only reason I would be of any concern with him. Still not a question with him at all about being, he has shown so much and put so much effort into third base that I am, I am all on board with that, with him as a as a player 
Contreras, I was looking back. The first list I did for top 100s was in October of 2015. And Contreras was my number 29 prospect at the time after his DSL season. Because the folks I talked with down there said basically this is a guy who he was like watching a 30-year-old down here playing the game. And I said, oh, well, that's something to know about a catcher because a catcher that is in control of the game already as a teenager that young that can control the strike zone that young, that's something to pay a lot of attention to. And so that's if you want to go Soroka's my fanboy and that's why he's number one, Contreras is probably my fanboy hitter in the system. And But he showed this year he was not overwhelmed by anything. It was not that he hit 20 home runs. It was not that he you know, suddenly was throwing out 60% of runners that were going on him. But nothing overwhelmed him. And for where his experience level was coming into the season, you know, remember, he didn't start the season in Rome. He was still at extended. And right. came came in later in the the start of the you know later I think it was late April but still he didn't start you know the way the season lined up this year they started basically April first for the minor league season and he was like April twentieth or so that he started so he missed about three weeks of the season and still very comfortable when he first started the first reps he took he looked like he belonged on that field and he just was. He was not the teenager that was, oh, my gosh, I just went over 4. You wouldn't know what he did in his last at-bat based on what he was doing this at-bat. And that's a huge thing for a teenage hitter. You know, that the behind-the-plate stuff, if he let a ball get by him, he was back at it. He wasn't setting up, pounding the dirt, you know, gosh, I can't believe I let that one get by me. He just was so level, and that is a huge thing. Now, I've, I told you guys when I was on here previously, I I like the offensive comp to a Johnny Estrada, and people don't like that. But when you go back and look, Estrada was like a 290 guy with 15 home runs and 30 doubles. That's a pretty solid stinking hitter, and I think he is a, a – going to be a heck of a lot better all-around defender than his brother is. William will be. No, I love That's- that. I, uh, I, I think he, he opened a lot of eyes this year. I think that he was one that uh, people wanted to believe in. He, he's an easy name to recognize because of his brother, but the fact that he was actually starting to, starting to perform and Ben, we've talked before about how much they like to keep, keep the younger guys at Rome for a full year. And the fact that, that Contreras and Waters, who you've got ranked number 10, both yep. were able to get that promotion to Florida before the year was out, I think it speaks volumes for for both of those guys. And that's, I will say, if there's anyone that I got some hard negative stuff this year on, it was Waters early in the year, and he cleaned it up by the end of the year. And that was just the taking stuff from the field to the batter's box and vice versa and really strong, you know, where he would strike out and he would go out to the field and he'd miss judge the first fly ball hit to him. 
because he just couldn't get it out of his head. And, you know, he would just be up and down the dugout cursing because he, you know, missed a pitch and, you know, just little things like that, which those are little for a teenage guy. But there's something you note. And when multiple guys are going, hey, that's weird, it's probably at a level that it's a little weird. And at the end of the season, nobody's saying those same things. So, A, Drew grew up, and B, obviously he had one hell of a season. You know, so he he made some huge strides. If Now, here's a question. If you are the Braves, do you start him in double-A next year? Because he struggled a bit in high-A. He did. I think I would probably have him repeat Florida. Just because I think he's, he was so raw coming in, and he's I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Drew. He's a guy from my neck of the woods. Um, so incredibly raw. He has, he has five full tools, and there might be a sixth one in there too. Uh, he, he's got such a nice – body for it to grow into as far as size and speed and arm and you know his, his power at the plate but it was all kind of disjointed because he was just so much more talented than everybody he was going up against when he was playing at Etowah it wasn't really much of a struggle for him in high school he could just show up and be better I thought oh, William I thought William was better was was better this year during their call-ups and I thought that William would handle it better just because that's William's style of game Drew is a lot more emotional of a player, as you were talking about, as he can get angry yeah. at himself. And I and I fully understand that part of it as well. Uh, I, that's something that I can relate to is, is you know being upset at yourself for failing. The problem is well, yeah. carrying it with you. Yeah, and that's that's just it. It's not a that's not one of those things that's a red flag. That's one of those things that's a yellow flag. That's a he needs to get out of that and. That might not even be an issue if he's still doing it at the end of that, that same season. But that's one of those things that you raise a flag if somebody is saying that it's happening a lot. And you go, okay, well, you've got to be able to keep those emotions in check as a professional ball player. That's just one of those parts of the game. And he's, he's, he's figured that out. And perhaps it was because he had some struggles in Florida. I was just looking it up. Now, these aren't huge number differences, but he added another 5% onto his strikeout rate going from Rome to Florida. He was just under 20 in Rome, and he was just about 25 in Florida, which that's not going to kill you type of strikeout rates, but it's obvious he's not getting the ball the way that he was in Rome. You know, he's not seeing it the same. He's not you know, all that sort of stuff. And then, so, I mean, that's just, I, like I said, that's that's still, he still had a stinking amazing season, you know, <laughs> all across the board. The thing I love the most about his stat line, and he did it, he did it at Florida too, 28 stolen base attempts. He was caught five times. See, that three time, three times in Florida and not caught once. And to me, that's huge. That's a big difference between him and, and Pache. They both have fantastic natural speed, but as far as the reads go, well, Pache stole 32 when he was in Rome. And uh, and Waters, I guess, he, I, I don't know if it's just that he gets better reads or, or what, but, I mean, Pache was 7 for 15 this year. 
in the stolen base department. So obviously is a is a blazer, but uh, but he has a little more work to do on that. I've I've compared Pache even back then. I compared him to Christian Guzman uh, when Guzman was with the Twins. I don't know if ever if I've ever seen and you know I've not live. I've watched video on on Rod Carew doing it. I've never seen a guy live cut the bases for a triple the way that Christian Guzman could. He was just he. There was not a better base runner. If he was going first to third, he was getting third every time on a single. He was so good at cutting bases and had such incredible top end speed, but his first three steps sucked. So he was a terrible base dealer his entire career. He was a, about a 60% success rate his entire career as a major league player with a guy who he was, I mean, that's a guy who's definitely a plus plus speed guy, Guzman was. And I, I see a lot of that as far as when you watch him play, uh, if there's a single to the outfield and, and Pache is at first, he's going to be on third. He just, he has that ability every time. But if the if he's trying to gauge a, a pitcher, that's not his forte. And you can still learn that, but it's pretty nice that he has that other skill set too. Now, we're, we're running out of time a little bit, so we got a couple more oh, yeah. questions. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I did want to ask, there have been a ton of guys that took huge, just giant leaps forward this year. Uh, number one question is, who do you see being those guys next year? Who's that one guy that you're circling in a red pin as your fastest riser in 2019? Um, actually, I I wrote him up this year or for today's batch that came out. It was the 51 through 75, and I don't know if he'll make that click this year, but. It it could it could by the end of 2019, but Victor Vodnik, ah, Doc's uh, guy, he is. Oh my gosh, does he have stuff? And the fact that they were able to get him to sign, and everyone said, "This is a high school guy. He's not going to sign. Don't expect that this guy's going to sign." He signed, and um. He is just he has got a lot of talent in that in that arm of his. And smaller guy and he never got good instruction in high school. Um, you know, this is from one of those really impoverished areas in in uh California. Not a lot of resources for his school. You know, they don't have three pitching coaches like some of those schools in California do. So he taught himself a slider and it looks like he taught himself a slider. It works, but it's not sharp at all. And you get some pro instruction on that because he's already comfortable with it. He already gets it in the zone. I mean, geez, that kid and his, his fastball just spins. I mean, just, it's crazy. He throws at 96 already and just get spin rates that are just nuts. And yeah, if he might be a guy who spends two years or spends two more years between GCL and Danville before he hits full season. But 
I could see him being a guy that once he gets it, he's going to fly up the system because he just has that kind of arm talent. So that's my guy. Okay. And if I were to ask you, who is poised to fall? Who's the, who's the guy that's coming up on the crunch of where he's at? Cause we've seen a few guys who have been, uh, as they've gotten up a little bit higher, they're starting to fall off. Like CJ Alexander started off insanely hot this year. You've got him on 19 on your list, but who's who's the guy right now on this in your top? Let's say in the top 30, who needs to make a big time improvement or find himself falling out in this prospect train? Well, I mean, the obvious one when you look at it is Alex Jackson. Um, that's that's the easy one. Just looking at it. Um, but the other candidate that really sticks out like a sore thumb is Ricardo Sanchez. Um, he's been, he's, he's got to be on the 40 at this point. And he just really hasn't shown that level of, do we keep him at this point? Because he just is, you can see it in flashes. And when he flashes, oh gosh, is it fun to watch? But he doesn't have that consistently. I'm going to be and, really honest. I'm really glad you didn't say Izzy Wilson. I was going to cry if you did. Well, I mean, I was a little, I was a little surprised at some of the stuff I saw from from Izzy on on video. I I think he's actually picked up a lot more than what the numbers showed this year. I hope that that translates to actual on-field production because Izzy's numbers under the underlined a guy who should be doing better for a long darn time. So, you know, he's got way more talent than what he's put on the field as far as numbers. But that I really do think I think Sanchez is a guy because there's so much. There's kind of there's another wave coming. The Braves drafts the last couple of years have been tremendously good. They darn near signed their entire draft without having Carter Stewart's money to use. I mean, they basically signed the entire draft in 2018. That's a, that's a really good point. of players. And, and they over, I mean, they overpicked. They, I mean, Tristan Beck was a guy who everyone said that's a late first, early second guy. And they got him, you know, much later than that and had to pay pretty decent money for him. And they still made it all work. You know, so there's a lot of talent they brought in in the last few drafts that are in A and, you know, in A ball and down in rookie ball. And, and Sanchez is one of those guys that's kind of sitting at that, well, he's at double A, but he's not really having success at double A. And here's all these guys, you know, that are frankly passing him by like Muller and Anderson. And, you know, Wentz probably is going to pass him by over the course of next year. He's kind of that old lady driving in the middle lane on the highway, you know. <laughs> you know, there's people going by on the right, people going by on the left. Eventually, you need to find your exit, you know, and it's just not sure where his is right now. Is he traded this offseason? What's that? Is Ricardo Sanchez traded this offseason, do you think? I Can you find someone that believes in him that much? I guess what I was saying is, well, what I was saying is, does he look worse because of the Braves' system 
if he were in somebody else's system, would he be given a little bit more leeway? Because I believe he's only twenty one. He is. He is only twenty one. He's. I mean, he'll be. I guess I don't know what opening day is. He'll be twenty one, twenty two opening day. He's at early or a mid April birthday. But yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, and I mean, even cat. I just watching video. I can't believe the stats are what they are, but. And the guy didn't look this even this good on video, so you know. But still, one four five whip last year. It just doesn't get it done. You know, he's getting hit around fairly decent. He just seems to be that I, guy. When one thing goes wrong, it just spirals on him. Because I've noticed oh, that yeah. with him too. I'm a huge, I'm a big fan of Sanchez. I think he's got some of the prettiest mechanics in the entire system. He's got one oh, of the easiest geez. releases and easiest deliveries I've ever seen. But what, like he'll he'll be cruising along for two, three, four innings, and then somebody will hit him hard on a pitch that he either didn't want to throw or didn't put where he wanted it. And all of a sudden, you look up and he's given up four or five runs and he's walked three people. So. Now, here's where I'll come with that, and this might be a good spot to kind of flip things here. The news that came out this week with Chuck Hernandez leaving his role. Before he was in that role, Chuck Hernandez designed a lot of the pitching programs within the Brave system. He wasn't so much a hands-on coach. He designed a lot of what they did on the pitching in the minor league system. Is that not exactly a description of what Mike Fultonavich and Sean Newcomb were doing before 2018? Is running well, running well, running into the first thing, and then stuff just blows up? Very true. Because, I mean, that's really what they were at the major league level before this year. So, I don't know. I just... I'd, I'd love to see that, you know, I, I, I made the comment a couple of times as folks were saying, well, it's a good thing we got that guy fired. He doesn't, you know, I said, you know what? I don't know that he was the right guy for a pitching coach job, but he knows pitching and might be a pretty good idea to keep him in the system, kind of doing what he was doing, designing programs and things like that. And maybe he's the guy who can figure Ricardo out in 2019 and he blows up and becomes someone that either takes a spot or is so darn good that he is a premier trade chip that gets us Madison Bumgarner at midseason or some some other trade chip at midseason that's our playoff ace. You know, so who knows? But that's he definitely he's the guy who needs to do it or else he's really there's a long ways he could fall. And he was included. Uh, he came over. We pretty much just got him for nothing in one of those. Uh, he was from the Angels, I believe. Kind of a th- yep. throw in for Chris. Like, that, like, Kubica uh, Chris or Ellis? Or yeah, Kyle Kubica. Kyle Kubica, wow. okay. Yeah, Chris Ellis came over in one of those deals, too, I believe, and we traded him to the Cardinals. Uh, no, that was, yeah, Ellis was the newcomer. And yeah. That was. So, yeah, no, I think it might have just been Kubica and Sanchez. Which, yeah, it was. That's a good deal because yeah. Kyle Kubica was like a 32 year old quad A type of guy forever. But I think that we should end on good hope right there. We've gone a little bit over what we intended today. 
Uh, we're getting a little bit later in the day. For everybody out there, make sure you go check out Ben's Top 100. We obviously didn't get to cover all 100 players, but I've been perusing at it this whole time during the show. I, I love the way it looks. and Make sure you're going to Tomahawk Take and reading it uh, so you can get Ben's thoughts on the players. He's also an extremely vocal guy who, if, as long as you are respectful, does not mind talking to you on the Twitter sphere and the Facebooks and letting you know and, and talking some prospects back and forth. There are not many nicer guys in this business then Benjamin Chase. So everybody, make sure you're following him. Give him a good platinum sombrero shout out. Let him know you heard him here and show him some love. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Been been fun. Ben, it's always a always. pleasure having you on, man. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this being the second time I've had you on. I can pretty much guarantee there will be a third. Uh, everyone, yeah. If you've enjoyed Ben's appearance, please uh, be sure to let us know. All right, guys, everybody else out there, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Once again, thank you to Armchair All-Americans for partnering with us, and thank you once again to our sponsors, MyBookie.ag. Again, if you're looking for a place to place some live wagers to make a little money in this postseason as basketball gets started up now, as it started up yesterday, I believe, uh, as uh, college football is in some major storms there. If you're a Georgia fan like me, last week was not a good week, but if you want to get right back on that horse, make you a little bit of spending money, get some bragging rights to your friends, make sure you go to MyBookie.ag. Use our promo code BRAVES25. Everybody else out there, thank you guys so much. We will catch you guys next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.